Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Athlete Voices podcast. I'm your host, Belisha Tang. This week, I am thrilled to have on the podcast Naomi Skotnikov. She is a three-time national team member and has competed in Level 10 Elite since she was 11 years old. She is currently balancing rhythmic gymnastics with attending Baylor University as an honors health science pre-physical therapy major. Naomi won fourth place all around at the USA National Championships and has represented Team USA internationally since 2018. Here is her story. Nice to meet you, Alicia. Yes, how are you? Well, doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to hear your story. I've heard your name on the circuit um, for a while. How many years have you been on the national team? About three years. Three years. And you're on the senior national team. Yes. Got it. For USA Rhythmic Gymnastics. And you're amazing. I watched your videos. You're such a beautiful gymnast. Um, So how old are you, Naomi? 19 years old. I just turned 19 at the end of June. Nice. Nice. You're legal adult now. (laughs) Okay. So today we're just going to talk about your gymnastics journey. And I want to start with just some basic questions like um, your hometown, what age you started rhythmic, um, how did you get in the sport? Sure. So my hometown was uh, Highland Park. I was born in Chicago, but um, my home gym was in Highland Park. Um, yeah, I started gymnastics when I was four years old. I did a little artistic gymnastics before that. Um But when I was three, I kind of started like this. When I was three, my doctor told my mom that I was in the lower 30% for coordination of kids my age. And so she decided to introduce me to ballet and gymnastics to kind of improve my coordination and a little bit of swimming as well. So I could kind of experiment and see what I liked. Um, But I always enjoyed kind of dancing around the house to music. And she thought that I would enjoy gymnastics she actually saw rhythmic gymnastics on the Olympics in 2008 and wondered if there was a program in Illinois that had rhythmic gymnastics. And then that's how she kind of found the uh, Illinois Rhythmic Gymnastics Center. And so mm-hmm. that, um, that's awesome. Yeah, I immediately loved it. And I enjoyed learning new skills and moving to music. And I also did ballet alongside. Yes, know. yes. Very nice. Very nice. And we know that ballet and rhythmic are tied like hand in hand. You need a lot of ballet training for rhythmic gymnastics. Um, So what age did you start competing? Round six. Yes. Around six, I started level three. I wasn't like super good. I wasn't super coordinated, which is a requirement for RG Mm -hmm. because of the um, coordination issue. Like I couldn't jump rope or do like basic skills. Like everybody else could that they seem to have already mastered at four years old. And I remember like seeing girls doing cartwheels across the carpet. And, you know, I remember going home and asking my mom to practice jump, jumping rope with me continuously. And Mm -hmm. for a long time and helped me to learn jump rope. So I'd be able to go the next day at class and, um, have learned to jump rope just to, you know, be up to par with what the other kids were doing. Um, and a lot of basic skills were like that kind of, I would go home and try back bends from standing or chest rolls 
you know, because they didn't want to spend a long time on basics during the class and kind of wanted to move on and that sort of thing. Um, wow. So cartwheels and all kinds of those things. Cause I felt so good when I could come back to class and do the skill because I worked on it. Um, and that kind of was the start. <laughs> yeah. That's, and look at how far you've come. Imagine that. Could you have imagined at four years old that you would one day be on the senior national team representing USA? Like, I don't think I knew what national team was until I was little six or five or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so did you, when did you start having aspirations to make the national team? Probably when I just started watching, watching the older girls, watching people like Jazzy Kerber, Laura Zang, um, Rebecca Serrata, watching them and seeing, wow, like that's pretty amazing. Like what, how did they get where they are? And then I kind of, you know, learned from my coaches that you have to make national team, you have to make level 10. And so then level 10 was a huge goal for a long time. Um, and then eventually, you know, I went to elite squad camps, Gorilla Ranch, like Placid, and those were transformative and kind of met a lot of friends and it worked with different coaches and kind of went up from there. And that's where my aspiration started, kind of when I saw older gymnasts. Amazing. Amazing. Um, are you still in Chicago right now? No, I'm actually currently in Texas. Oh, cool. Wow. Um, I'm in California, so we're pretty close, I would say, location-wise. Um, yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, so tell me about your training schedule. Uh, what does, I'm um, first of all, thank you so much for carving time out of your busy training schedule to hop on this podcast. Um, what does your training schedule look like currently? Yeah. So when I was in Chicago, I had a pretty rigorous training schedule throughout my career. It's up to 25 to 20 hours per week. Um, before I started college, um, I had morning practice on Tuesday, Thursday and night practice and that kind of thing. Um, when I was homeschooled from, I guess, elementary until sixth grade. And then I went to middle school uh, regular school from sixth grade until, um, and then high school until the end of sophomore year. Um, and then that school was pretty flexible, allowed me to leave during the middle of the day and then come back during later at night. Um, and then after COVID, I switched to an accredited online school. And then that gave me a lot of flexibility to really focus on gymnastics. That's when I started doing more of the double practice days. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Wow. Very demanding training schedule, especially the double practices. Would it be like three, four hours in the morning, three, four hours in the evening kind of thing? Right. Exactly. So I was used to like 25, 20 hours a week, but this last year was pretty different because I started college at Baylor. Mm, Nice. anymore. Yeah. I wasn't working in person with my coach. So it took like at least a month to kind of figure out what training would look like and when and where I could go. Um, So like I would email a lot, try to find reservations space. And it was a difficult process to get like a consistent training schedule in place. Um, 
like in the beginning, I was trying rooms in my dorm, like places in the library. I even tried going outside in the grass, but that didn't really work for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I found a racquetball court in like the campus gym and it's about the same size as like a small ballet studio. And so there I would practice like masteries and body difficulties. Um, And eventually we, after a bunch of phone calls and meetings and things, I was able to arrange like a three time a week reservation in the basketball court at college. And this had to be worked out with class schedule, everything like that. Um, And so that became like the best space that I had to practice my routines Um, And yeah, it was very different. It was a lot less training than I was used to, for sure. And during my reservation, my coach had to practice. I mean, she had to coach the group practice in Chicago at home. So she couldn't always do with me. And I was mostly training by myself. And I remember thinking that I was more underprepared than usual. Um, Yeah. It was difficult for sure. And on the weekends, I would try to fly back sometimes just so I could get some in-person one-on-one with my coach. So it was challenging year for sure in terms of that. That sounds so hard. Um, and one thing to know is that rhythmic gymnastics is not a college sport. You're competing on the national team level. You're at that elite highest level. Um, and yet you're having to figure out all the logistics of basic training schedules and space on your own. You know, you don't have a lot of resources and just all these hoops you have to jump through, like literally, right. Um, All the hoops you have to jump through just to get a regular consistent training schedule um, and a training space. Cause in rhythmic, we need the high ceilings because we do a lot of masteries and tosses of apparatus. Um, It's so hard. That sounds so hard. Um, how how did the university support you? I mean, besides giving you that three time a week basketball court space, like what was that process like? Who did you have to email um, to even get that system in place? So it was definitely a trial and error process. Um, I didn't come to the university and have that space to begin with just for a couple emails like First, I had to email like the athletic director and then they have an acro tumbling team there. So I tried to go through them, but they, you know, had their own rules and everything. So not just anybody could take their space and it's just kind of bring awareness like what national team even is because it's different than any like college division one sports, that kind of things. There's a difference. Um, and then eventually I had to go all the way to the president of the university and only then did um, things start moving in the direction of logistics, figuring out a space, um, looking what spaces does the university actually have available, what times actually work. So it took a lot of patience, but eventually I think it just is a case where if you know you want to find something, there's always a way. And it really it seemed impossible at sometimes, like when nobody's responding to emails, or you just have to be patient. And I think. I'm glad it worked out. You know, they were supportive once they kind of find found out um, what national team meant. And I kind of had to explain to my professors when I need to be gone. And they were 
gracious and understanding. And I'm grateful for that for sure. Um, mm-hmm. they were understanding once, you know, they understood and, um, yeah, I mean, even though I got the basketball gym space, it's like, it was low ceiling. Um, my coach let me borrow carpets. They weren't like specifically rhythmic carpets. So it was about like maybe three fifths of what a rhythmic floor would be. And I would have to roll out three separate strips and roll them back at each reservation, which was only like two hours and the carpets had to be cleaned up by the end of the two hours. So wow. it was a different kind of adjusting, like, you know, I didn't have all the time in the world to just, you know, ponder and do one scale 50 times. I kind of had to learn to be more intentional and deliberate with how I used my space every practice. So, right. I would warm up beforehand. I would like find the closest location where I could do oversplits before I got to the basketball gym because there were no chairs in the basketball gym. Right. I would open the zoom tabs, like even like trying to save minutes, um, preparing if I would was planning to zoom my coach, it just did a lot of communication and kind of proactive planning and thinking that I wasn't required as much before because the, you know, in Chicago, I had double practices. So it was like, if I had an off day, I could just go in the second half part of the day and repeat everything I needed to. Right sounds so mental like such a mental game you had to juggle and jump through hoops just to get basic training and you had to be very deliberate and strategic about how you went about it you had to be a very smart athlete in a way that before you also had to be a smart athlete but there was more leeway I think because you had a lot of um, training time you didn't have to worry about basic logistics right? Like you said, if you had an off practice in the morning, you could make up for it in the evening. Whereas here, you only had two hours to kind of nail things. Um, so I could only imagine how tough that must have been on top of your studies. Tell me, I always have great admiration for gymnasts who um, are able to do university and compete at the national team level. You see people like Evita, right? She's doing that. Um and other cases like Serena was doing that for a bit at Princeton, right? Um, and now she's a full-time working adult and national team. Um, and I don't know what it is about rhythmic gymnasts and they just seem like they're superhuman. They can seem to do it all. Um, and I want to hear how you juggle that school, college, gymnastics. Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> a lot to even think about in itself. But um, I was doing full-time classes. I was in the honors college, so had a separate honors program, um, pre-health major, pre-physical therapy. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to say it was easy because it wasn't. But, you know, time management was definitely important. Um, I couldn't go. I couldn't join a bunch of organizations that I might have wanted to or could have if I didn't have um, as much gymnastics or uh, school responsibility, right? Just had to kind of pick and choose and prioritize um, what needed to be done. And sometimes that was hard. Like there's one week where there's a hailstorm in Texas and like we couldn't leave our dorm. And so like that whole week, I couldn't go to the gym and like, what could I do? I would have to stretch in my dorm, like 
just figure out and kind of problem solve all the time, constantly on the spot and be flexible and adjust to situations like that or like, you know, lab went overtime. And so that ran into my reservation time, like figuring out, okay, what can I do to stay physically fit instead? Um, And communicating with my professors was like super important. I think I wouldn't have been able to get straight A's if I hadn't communicated with my professors, because that kind of cleared up a lot of the times, like if I missed a quiz, if I missed a test, you know, there was a lot of, it wasn't as easy as high school to just reschedule something. There was, you know, you had to sign forms, request papers to be signed from, you know, academic deans and that sort of thing. Just kind of figuring it out as I went, right? And I wanted to keep going. I didn't want to become kind of overwhelmed and unable to do gymnastics because of school, because I wanted to do both. Both were important to me. So just kind of seeing whatever I could do is did I do everything I could do to try to figure out what's possible to make the best out of it. Amazing. And did you say you got straight A's on top? That's wow. On top of being an elite gymnast, that's talk about high performance, like high performer. You're amazing, Naomi, such an inspiration to what do you to what do you attribute your success, um, both in gymnastics and school? Um, how do you do it? Like, do you have support systems in place? Do you like tell us, share your secrets? <laughs> sure. So, yes, I would definitely agree that I have a strong support network. Um, family has always been supportive, um, friends, you know, supportive coaches as well. Um, And just, I think people can, anybody can do it, right? I don't think there's any special secret sauce to being, being able to handle multiple things. Um, I think maybe the only thing would be just the desire to do it. If you, if you want to be able to do both, then you can. I mean, I, it's hard. Not easy. Yeah. It's kind of hard to say looking back on it in the moment. It just kind of felt like a grind, but I wasn't grudgingly going through it. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Um, And, you know, my mom has encouraged me and sent me motivational quotes and USA Gymnastics has provided webinars of like, you know, mindset and having an open mind and growth mindset and how to deal with you know, anxiety. And, and I remember reading the book, uh, champion mind, I think it was called. Um, I remember that encouraged me sometimes like on those days where I couldn't go to training, but because of some external uncontrollable circumstance, you know, little things like that, that have kind of kept me going and helped me day by day. Um, remembering motivational quotes, even searching those up. I remember, um, some Bible verses have encouraged me as well and things people have sent to me. It was kind of a compilation of people around me and kind of things that I've done to kind of self-help myself, um, and motivation I've got from coaches and everything. It's kind of a combination, kind of a melting pot of yeah. different things. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it really does take a village to create a champion, but um, you sound like such a driven person, like from what you told me before when you were young and you were catching up your skills, right? And you would go home and you would get your mom to jump rope with you and catch up with the rest of the team and like, look at where you are now. So I think it just speaks volumes to your personality and your grit. And that's really admirable. Um, so keep it up, keep up what you're doing. That's, I can't wait to continue following your journey and seeing where, where it takes you. Um, so what are some of the, like your short-term and long-term goals for gymnastics? So right now I'm still training and coaching and doing master classes in a nearby gym close to my house. Um, but honestly, like we'll see how next year unfolds. I'm still kind of unwinding from this year. Um, I am still training and taking some time to enjoy gymnastics, but and doing what I love, but I haven't um, made many plans for next year semester yet. Got it. Got it. And you're going into your second year of college. Nice. Nice. Um, And in terms of like favorite competitions, favorite competition memories, highlights. Sure. So my favorite international competition would probably be Grand Prix alone or um, I don't know, maybe France is a close second. Um, I don't think I have one particular favorite competition memory. Um, I have a lot of favorite, favorite moments in competition. Um, been to a lot of international places. I love traveling and seeing the different countries that um, gymnastics competitions lead us to. Um, but I think, yeah, coming off of the carpet after a good routine and feeling proud with myself and my coach feeling proud, that's always one of the best moments um, for gymnasts and doing competitions. Um, maybe a specific one would be in Israel, the Grand Prix alone competition, um, floating in the Dead Sea uh, with Jenna. I remember after the competition, that was really fun and seeing Jerusalem. Um, also in Poland after the competition, when all the seniors were hanging out, I think it was like me, Serena and Nerea and, we were just having a good time afterwards and moments like that. I think that not many people get to experience, but are pretty special. I think. Amazing. Amazing. And I take it that some of your closest friends are from gymnastics, right? Yes, I would agree because, you know, not many people understand what rhythmic gymnastics is and what rhythmic gymnasts go through on a daily basis and what the majority of their life is. So people who can relate to you, I think, those are people that you can, you know, identify with the most and, you know, talk about things that you both understand that are beyond kind of the surface level of just getting to know people. Um, of course, there are friends outside of gymnastics that are nice to have that you don't have to talk about gymnastics with, right? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's nice to have people that can relate and have gone through what you've gone through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was actually a rhythmic gymnast um, a long time ago, nowhere near your level, but um, still love the sport. Um, and it's an individual sport, right? It's an individual, unless you're in the group discipline. But um, it's interesting because you're competing against each other, but it doesn't always feel like oh, everything's a competition. Like uh, some of my closest friends were from gymnastics too. So it's just interesting how that works, you know, where you can 
at once be competitors, but also really close friends and support systems and cheerleaders for each other, right? Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, So can you share with us some of your pre-performance rituals? Like, do you ever get anxiety before a big competition? And if so, how do you cope with that? Sure. So I, I definitely have some sort of performance anxiety sometimes. Every time I perform, um, I consider it normal. Um, When I was younger, I think I would get increasingly like more and more butterflies the sooner the time would come to me stepping on the carpet. Um, But now I think I've developed some techniques that have helped me kind of keep a clear head when I go on the carpet. Um, But I think most of my anxiety when I look back came from just me wanting to do my best. Like I remember thinking I put so much time into this. My coach has put so much time. We've worked really hard. I can do my routines. I just really want to do good on the carpet. And I think that's where the root of my performance anxiety came from was just wanting to show it on the carpet. And sometimes I would try to like force it to happen and like be ultra um, in my head and like thinking constantly, like, make sure you do this, make sure you do that. Right. And sometimes that would uh, not work in my favor. Right. Because it wouldn't be as natural. And I think as I got older, I realized that I kind of have to let go a little bit and kind of just let it happen and be more relaxed about it because I'm doing it for myself, not necessarily because I owe something to somebody, but because I love the sport, right? That's ultimately the reason why I'm doing it. So that kind of helped me as I got older. And I don't think there's one tips, tip or trick to ease performance anxiety overall. Like there's a bunch of tips I've heard over the years, you know, breathing techniques, you know, um, practicing so many times beforehand, you know, reading mindset books, all those kinds of things help in different moments. But I think overall, it's a personal experience and a personal journey that everybody has to go through to figure out how to bring out their best version of themselves when it matters most. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love how, what you said about doing it for yourself and not trying to please or owe something to others. I think, you know, as a member of the national team, yes, you do have some responsibility to represent the country. Like that's a big burden. It sounds like, you know, it's like you're wearing the flag on your leotard. Um, but at the same time, it's like good to have that perspective the big picture perspective of like why am I even doing this in the first place come back to the root of it and it's because you love it right if you didn't love it you wouldn't be you know spreading yourself so thin and juggling school and gymnastics and going through all these crazy schedules and pushing your mind and body in the way you do right if there isn't that root love of the sport um so what do you love most about rhythmic gymnastics I don't know I guess performing I mean the like moving to the music with equipment being to being able to do cool moves that nobody else can do and within like gymnastics there's so many variations it's not like everybody who's a rhythmic gymnast can do the same skills right there's a base level of skills but then there's also like customization personalizing your routines to match the music how you want it to be. 
So no people's routines are exactly the same. Like your routines will always have some element that is different from somebody else. And I think that's cool because, you know, my strength is balancing more and doing, doing more flexibility moves where somebody else might be jumps or coordination with equipment. And I like that I can kind of demonstrate my strength while still doing the same sport as everybody else. And just, I love moving to music and yeah, I, that's the main part of rhythmic gymnastics that I love. I think. That's amazing. Isn't rhythmic just like the perfect combination of like, you know, dance, acro, hand apparatus, manipulation, like ballet, like being a ninja, basically. <laughs> I think it's it's such a beautiful and difficult sport. It's like when people watch it, the top gymnasts make it look effortless, but it's anything but effortless. That's the product of like a million repetitions and like so much training. And um, so when people say, oh, rhythmic gymnastics, haha, it's the it's like ribbon dancing. It's like not a real sport. I don't know. This is just like literally this is a stereotype, right? Some people don't understand it. They don't understand it. So I just wanted to say you guys are amazing. You guys are ninjas. That's how I think of rhythmic gymnastics. They're ninjas. Um, and yeah, so incredible incredible um what would you what advice would you give to young rhythmic gymnasts aspiring to make the national team what would you say to them young rhythmic gymnast i would say enjoy the process of getting better not just the end result so if your goal is to make national team don't just get fixated on the title national team right it's good to have dreams but i think it's more important not to lose yourself in the process um, if you only see the end result, you miss a lot of amazing things that happen in the journey, right? A lot of things that you can learn about yourself, a lot of things that you can learn about what's acceptable, what's not, how to, you know, manage yourself in stressful situations, you know, how to push yourself. There's a lot of things that go into getting that result, right? It's more than just pushing yourself physically. It's figuring out what coaching style you respond best to. Um, you know, how to interact with um, teammates, like you said, that are also your competitors and finding out who your friends are. Um, you know, it's a challenging environment, but I think another important thing to remember is that you are the pilot, right? You can steer, so you can steer the plane where you want it to go. You don't necessarily have to, you know, blow at the wind per se. And, um, if there are training challenges, you can always find a way, I think, you know, like in college, you know, if you look, look for the places um, to train, you can, there's always possibilities, um, find your strengths, um, nothing is impossible, and try to be the best version of yourself, um, you know, be a friend, try to help others to get the focus off of you and kind of grow as a person in the process, right, I think it's a good overall life principle so much wisdom there thank you so much for sharing all of that and um it sounds like you've learned so much and you're only 19 um i think 
the sport and just professional athletes in general, they have to grow up pretty fast um, because of the demanding nature of the environment they find themselves in and um, the man- the demands the sport um, places on them. Um, they grow up really fast and they, they're very mature for their age. And I can see that reflected in you as well. Um, amazing. So talking about coaching methods, what is, uh, the coaching methodology that you respond best to? Sure. So I believe that I respond best to straightforward technical directions and feedback without any emotional remarks or attachments that don't really have to do with my actual movements. Um, For example, like if I do a hoop roll and the correction is start with the arm lower, chest up right away in the rotation versus I don't like how you're doing the roll, fix it, right? There's a difference there. And I think that I respond better when the direction is straightforward, right? And less emotionally tied per se. Less Um, emotionally tied. Yeah. So like if, the corrections have in either like an angry, uninterested, or overly happy tone to it. It can be a little bit distracting at times. Um, I like when both the coach and the gymnast are neither in a good or a bad mood, but just in a working mood where we're both level-headedly working to fix as many mistakes as we can and trying to get more consistent. Um, if a particular skill isn't working, then we both problem solve to fix it, right? There's trial and error. Like the coach tries to say, try this, we try it, you know, versus the coach saying to go figure it out for an hour by yourself and then come back the next day with the problem solved, right? Um, I think it's more of a partner relationship. Um, and overall, like an effective coach athlete relationship is when both have the same end goal, right? With no hidden conflicts of interest from each other. Um, when the coach is consistent in their demeanor and their practice in the practice and competition, right? Not consistently or constantly changing from like hot to cold, you know, happy, sad, or leaving the gymnast to kind of guess what their mood will be that day. I think, especially for younger gymnasts, it's hard to process when the coach acts one way at practice and then a completely different way at competition. Um, But I also think it's very important for gymnasts to trust their coach and have a internal motivation, which makes the process a lot easier for both sides, which I've Mm -hmm. kind of, as I've coached younger ones as well. So you're a coach as well. So you have that perspective of like being an athlete, being a coach. And by the way, everything you said was spot on about I completely agree like that's what a healthy coach athlete relationship should be more of a partnership a dynamic working partnership as opposed to like I'm the coach I'm the higher up authority figure you have no say and you have to do exactly what I tell you to do like following orders um, being inconsistent with the way they act practice to practice um, from practice to competition, um, getting overly emotional, you know, belittling like that style of coaching. I think we can all agree is not the healthiest to put it lightly. <laughs> um, and there's a way to, you know, have a healthy, positive style of coaching, um, that is still productive and still effective. I think that might be a little misconception of like, maybe it's rooted in the culture of the sport, how historically gymnastics as a sport um, is very intense, very 
harsh, can be very harsh in terms of the training practices. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. It, it can be strict, right? A coach can be strict and um, have high expectations for the athlete without being abusive and without, you know, they can deliver corrections in an assertive and professional way without belittling the athlete as a person. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to find coaches like that, I feel like. Um, maybe it's getting better because um, I think these days there's more awareness on safe coaching practices. Um, what would you say to that? I think. USA Gymnastics has done a great effort in trying to educate coaches for, um, you know, ways to get results without belittling the person. Um, I'm lucky, lucky to not have experienced um, much of, you know, uh, an unhealthy per se coaching experience. Um, and I think that has kind of helped me um, coach younger ones now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, what do you love about coaching? Um, I love the, I, I love just seeing the kids satisfaction when they learn a new skill or when they see the improvement themselves. Um, I also, um, like giving back to the sport, right? I've been coached for so many years myself, have this knowledge of how to do skills. And I think, well, what can I do with this? I can give it to other kids and let them experience the the fun of rhythmic gymnastics, the fun of learning how to do toss, somersault, and catching it. And, you know, those things that I consider, okay, they're easy now, but when I was their age, it was a feat to do hard things. And I just think it's fun to see the kids happy and, you know, improving and having a good time doing the sport that I've done. Amazing. Amazing. So you've been in the sport for how many years now? 15, 15 years. Wow. (laughs) You're a veteran. And at 19, it's a sport that um, gymnastics in general, we have early retirement ages, right? And in terms of the, in comparison to the grand scheme of life, we retire pretty young. Um, So would you consider yourself kind of like a veteran in the sport? Yes, yes, I've seen a lot of things, meant there were a lot of challenges, ups and downs. And I remember my first competition and just how many I've been to, and it seems unreal um, that it's been 15 years, really. Um, feels much shorter. But um, yeah, whenever I reflect back on my gymnastics career, I always think about the first medal that I've won. And it said, if you had fun, you won. (laughs) And I think it's kind of a good motto for the sports in general. Um, I remember that competition, my very first competition was when I got that medal. And I remember asking my mom, what if I don't want to go on the carpet? And my mom just said, well, you have no choice. Just go out there and have fun. Do the best you can do. And I remember, okay, I'll try to do that, you know. I get the medal and it's just, it's emotional really when I think about that and that kind of sets the trajectory for the rest of my night, for the rest of the 15 years 
in sport. And I think I've made a full circle really because at this nationals, I reflecting on it, I just, I did, I had fun and I won for myself. Even if it didn't result on making the team, I felt like that I had a personal best set of all four performances that I've had at a nationals before. Um, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Naomi. This was such a great interview. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we conclude? Um, um, not much, but thank you so much for this opportunity. I've had a good time sharing. Amazing. No, thank you. And I think we were pretty thorough with your story and I can't wait to get it out there and see what you do next. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you guys so, so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Athlete Voices podcast. We have new episodes coming every Tuesday, so stay up to date with that by clicking subscribe. You can follow us on our Instagram at Athlete Voices and check out our website, athletevoices.net, where we post feature articles about the guests on this podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and leave us a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.